0: Um, for those who weren't able to, last night was a wonderful evening of worship as we just met upstairs and sang, sang and prayed and fellowshiped and it was a really encouraging time of just being in the presence of God. And uh, the next time we have one, I would encourage you all to attend because it was a great blessing. Uh, before I share with you this morning, um, I actually wanted to invite uh, our, our brother, which we all know and who we all love, and we're all very appreciative of his weekend devotions as well as he continues to share with us and give us a bit of an insight as to what's going on overseas. So um, if you make our brother feel welcome, we'd like to invite our brother Andrew Finn up, please. <laughs> <Good morning. laughs> all right, all right. Uh, for those, of you, this is Andrew Finn, um, bro. Hey, hey, it, it, it is really good to see you, and it's like both your brother and you have new hairstyles. <laughs> you, you both look very, very. There's smart. a story
1: behind that, but <laughs> it's purely for Ben and Mel's wedding. Oh,
0: is it? Okay, okay. He, <laughs> he
1: said my hair's too short, so I've been working on it for the last three months.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Our right. chat
1: room consists of self. Anyway, oh you know really? I mean? You've yeah. got a okay selfies oh, of my we hair. We won't
0: get into those things. Okay, so. Brother, so what has been going? So for, for those who don't know and whatever, like we prayed and we, we sent you off as you took this next step in your life. Yep. So my question is, where are you now? Just for everybody here and people who don't really know you, where are you now regarding your position oh, yep. first?
1: Yep. So I, I work for PwC. It's a consulting firm, uh, global consulting firm. And I'm living in, in Bangkok, Thailand. Uh, and I'm currently working in a finance role. For those of you who know me, before that I was working for the government here, uh, and now I work for PwC, who works for the government in Thailand, so it's a pretty similar kind of world, and I work in infrastructure. So at the moment, working on a high-speed rail project, a new uh, house for aeroplanes in near Bangkok Airport, and things like that. So okay. yeah, and I've been doing that for three months.
0: Very nice, very nice. Uh, in regards, what's the, sp- in, in, in Thailand, what's the spiritual atmosphere regarding, just regards the things of God, even just the spirituality of Thailand in general, what, what's the atmosphere like? He, he, he doesn't know any of the questions I'm asking him, because I'm just, I'm, I'm asking him right now. He doesn't know any of this. What's the spiritual yeah, atmosphere? Well, how do you feel in regards to the spiritual atmosphere, what you've observed, what you've experienced, when you've looked around, uh, because I guess it'll help us to best pray for you as well. Um, the spiritual atmosphere of Thailand that you're experiencing yeah. at the moment. So in the
1: in the workplace, it's actually very similar to here. In that, uh, I mean, I work in a firm where there's a lot of middle upper class people. So actually, they have a lot of money, and uh, but they don't have God. So uh, in in Thailand, it's probably about ninety percent Buddhist, zero point three percent Christian. I haven't met a Christian in my organisation. That's a two thousand person organization so that sort of gives you a feel for yeah. how many Christians you see walking around the street there's not many um, but I would say in my workplace the challenges that um, my colleagues have are this pretty similar to here they're filling their lives up with shopping with cars with money yoga pilates diving all sorts of things so yeah. um, the challenge for me is in that context to show them there's more to life than those those things. So that's in the in a work in the work setting, um, yeah. I, I would say like generally most people are pretty nominally Buddhist. Um, it's not like they go sort of every week to to visit the temple. Um, it's more just something they might do if they need need something, or if there's a particular public holiday, they might head down to the temple and yeah,
0: ask yeah. ask for something. Um, okay. I mean, it's <laughs> I could go on and on, but yeah, I'll, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, if you have a chance to talk to Andrew afterwards, please catch up with him. He's here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, I guess. I guess then how? Ten days. Next ten days. <laughs> okay, I'll be here next Sunday. All right. Very cool. Are you preaching? No, sorry. Uh, so, um, no, he's not. He's not. down for the, the wedding. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I guess then um, a couple more questions. So then uh, how then are you being? nurtured and fed and established as a Christian in a country that is 90% Buddhist and where it'd be like an oasis in a desert, where do you find your spiritual nourishment whilst you're over in Thailand? Yeah, so
1: it's interesting when I first got on the ground there, my relationship with God improved because I didn't really have much of a choice. Um, I didn't have a church community, didn't have many friends at all. Um, just like a handful of connections and, and family. So, um, I mean, I could have turned to other things, but I found myself actually making the time in the morning to spend time in the Word and worship and just write write stuff down. Um, and that's been really important for me to just to sustain my walk mm. during the week. Um, and ironically, better than it was in the, in the lead up to when I left, left here. And having my own house and that sort of thing has helped with that. Um, I visited... Three churches in total, ended up uh, landing at a church called New Song, which is a really good balance of international um, people like me, uh, Thai-Thai people, and then kind of people in between who are Thai but pretty English educated. Um, And that's been a good start, but um, I mean, the irony is that I'm in such a challenging spiritual environment, and I wouldn't say I'm being fed that much yet. So it's really on me to kind of do my own digging in the Word, et cetera. Um, I haven't joined a small group yet because it's been on pause. So yeah. please pray I could I find one within the church. They're starting them up soon. And um, my church has this three-month, like, you've got to be in the church for three months before you start serving. So I've been itching to, like, get on the welcome team or just do something because that's kind of how you get involved and yeah. how you get to know people. But um, my three months has now passed, so when I get back, I'll be able to serve um, as well so Very yeah cool. just pray for I've got sort of superficial I would say connections in the church but pray for something a little deeper okay I, I really need it
0: that was going to be my final question in regards how then can we best pray for you so for those who aren't a part of it the, the we have a church devotional team uh, church devotional whatsapp group um if you want to be on it please just give me a number um and and uh Andrew posts on it every week So either a Saturday or a Sunday, and he usually gives us a bit of an insight as to what he's getting up to over there, which is really cool. Sandy has committed to the seventh of every month to give us an update. Um, If you want to be a part of it, please let me know as well. We'd love to have you a part of it as well. Um, But how can we best pray for you um, as you prepare to go back, prepare to serve, and all that sort of stuff? So how can we best pray for you while you're over there?
1: Yeah, Uh, my priority at the moment is my workplace. That's my mission field. The language is a big issue, um, bigger than I anticipated in that all all my colleagues internally are better than expected in terms of their English. So that's not an issue. But because we work a lot for government, uh, they prefer to operate in Thai, understandably, and they prefer to receive reports in Thai. So uh, in my current state of speaking pretty novice Thai, um, there's a lot of times where I feel quite uh, useless or inadequate in the workplace, which is complete opposite to what I feel when I'm, I'm back here. So... Uh, I'm learning the language, but it also means I just have to change my approach and actually trust my team a yeah. lot to do stuff. Um, so if you could just pray for, for, for that, um, number one. Number two, uh, you asked me before I left what sort of cultural challenges there were going to be. One of the biggest cultural challenges there is that uh, it's very hierarchical and very presumptuous. So I, I look young, I kind of am young um and i'm very young for my position i also don't speak thai um but i'm half thai so um i have a lot of things in my kind of cv that work against me uh when i meet people mm. um and you know obviously after i get to know them and they kind of see what i can do that's fine um but there's an immediate uh stereotyping yeah. that happens so you know i know it's kind of a long game for me i'm going to be there for a few years at least and that sort of, sort of thing is going to be fine after a few years. But um, mentally, that's that's a challenge for me in the workplace. Um, so those are the kind of... Because I spend most of my week at work, those first two are kind of work-related. I think the last one would be just to uh, keep the fire going in terms of my mission uh, that that I kind of God placed on my heart to go there, which wasn't Thailand, it was Cambodia, actually. So... Um, just pray that I keep kindling the fire. Um, I know that my focus is going to be in Bangkok for the next couple of years, particularly as I learn the language, but um, I've already had some opportunities to speak to missionaries who are going to Cambodia. I'm planning to visit Cambodia sometime uh, this year, I hope, Um, whether it's just for travel or whether it's to meet some of my friends that I met over the years. Um, And so just pray that um, I would stay faithful to, yeah, why the Lord set me, because, you know, I shared this before I left, and I've shared it on the devotional, there's a very attractive expat life, um, that it's really kind of, it can suck you away, and there's a lot of temptations, so um, just pray for that, and in that, there's so many opportunities as well, because people are like, why, are you, why do you want to go to Thailand? Like, I want to go to your country, so many people ask me, and, yeah, are lots of opportunities to share about um, why I came there originally.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. uh, I was going to pray for you now, brother. Please. And just want to stretch out your hands. We'll pray for our brother right now. uh, Father, we thank you so much for Andrew. We thank you firstly for the call that you have placed on his heart for Cambodia. We thank you for directing him, that you've moved within his life and directed him, whether it be through Bangkok, Thailand, he gets to fulfill the mission you've placed on his heart. We ask that he will trust you regardless of whatever obstacles he may face. With some of those obstacles, we commit into your hands now with the language, Uh, even though it's a novice type language for him. We pray, Lord, as you are the God of all creation, you are the one that has given us our tongue to be able to speak the glorious and wondrous works of your name that you will bless Andrew with the gift to be able to not only learn the language, but proclaim your truths boldly and without fear to all those in Thai as well. So, Father, I pray also for his position, and because he's such a young fellow that people might look down on him, the fact that he doesn't speak the language fluently, the fact that he looks, uh, well, not looks different, but he's just a bit different in attitude and mindset. Father, that you will give him the wisdom and the discernment to be able to communicate clearly on the authority of your word, not only your truths, but to fulfill his position that he has with PWC also. So we commit our brother into your hands. May you continue to support him. May you continue to bless him. May you continue to to encourage his heart, not only while he's here, but when he goes back and serves your people in your church. And we commit all of this to you now in the name of our mighty Savior. Amen. Thank you very much. Give me a round of applause, please, brothers and sisters. You know what's really interesting? So I'm 120 kilos. I'm 120 kilos. Actually, no, I'm 119. I've lost one kilo. Uh, It's only taken me seven months. But what I find, my wife really... My wife gets really irritated when we go to the movies because when you're in a movie theater, it's much like these sorts of chairs, but because they are firmly interlocked together, I get a bit wriggly. And so when I wriggle in my seat, the whole seat moves, like the whole row of chairs moves. It's really quite bad. I blame the seats because they're old. It's got nothing to do with my weight or my size. But I'm just saying, once there's one movement, everything moves. Now, the reason why I wanted Andrew to come and share today is because more often than not, God is moving. God is moving within the hearts of people. God is moving in circumstances that you see and even in circumstances that you do not see. If you talk with Andrew, he will testify to the movements of God in bringing him to this place where he is now and Lord willing to fulfill the call and the burden placed on his heart for Cambodia. It's when God moves. And so over the next month, we're just going to look at some individual one-off sermons, but this is something that God spoke to my heart regarding do we or are we able to recognize the moves of God around us? If you want to bring the slide up, please, Mr. Saeed. Thank you very much. So we have heard over the past two months, two months, a series of encouragement from Paul's letter to the Philippians, encouragements to challenge, encouragements to excite, encouragements to stir our hearts with a desire and an eagerness to live, as it were, with eternity in mind. We looked at these eight encouragements, the fact that we are We've been encouraged to see God's hand at work regardless of the circumstances and to know He is working regardless of what we encounter. We are, as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, meaning He is working within us and with us and through us for His glory. To not only see God's hand at work, but to live with Christ as our our priority, so much so that our lives are placed in a position that views our current existence as secondary to our ultimate destination of eternity with Christ, Philippians 121, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death is a gain in God's economy. To follow the example of our Lord who selflessly sacrificed, who humbly submitted and obediently adhered to the plan, will, and heart of God. Who did nothing of himself, but only what his Father willed. And if you look at John 5.19, Jesus admits that and says, I do nothing of myself unless what the Father tells me. He submitted to God's heart, his Father's heart, to hope with an assured confidence that our current status as citizens of heaven among a world that is in a direct opposition to the things of God, and it's something that Andrew is experiencing to a greater extent over in Thailand, that we are more, more than conquerors. That in the opposition that we have to us to have our... Eyes set on things above, that we have a guaranteed future that awaits us, revealed to both you and I by his spirit. And if you look at one Corinthians chapter two, verse ten, we see that. I've I've quoted it so many times, verse nine, how it says, You know, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has revealed to those who love him. But in verse ten says, He has revealed these things to us by his spirit. By his spirit, we have access to that, to know Christ, the encouragement to know Christ intimately, personally, relationally, to know the power of his resurrection, that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So that's Romans eight thirty seven, to know the fellowship of his suffering. You see that in Paul's example in Acts nine, twelve. And for in doing so, our priorities are set right. That in our weakness we are strong. To, that, that will help me and to assist me to become more like Him. And in all of this, to persevere as God, by His Holy Spirit, is shaping us, is molding us, is transforming us to be the image of His Son. Romans eight twenty nine. And taking responsibility of that role, we play in our relationship with Him. Yes, we are saved by His grace. Yes, His grace calls us to obey what He says and respond to the prompts and submit to His will. And a couple of weeks ago, it was then we are to stand firm in the Lord. Remember? To stand firm, having the right position, the right—Andrew wasn't here. It was a rugby illustration, as always— but it was be in the right position in order to achieve the purpose and be prepared to take the hits. And that's what happens to stand firm in the Lord, resulting in, as John O shared last week, the secret to one's contentment. The secret to one's contentment, that of a legitimate, real dependence upon Jesus Christ, content because you see Him working, So you live his way, following his example, getting to know him with an assurance and hope in his promises. You stand firm in him and are satisfied with whatever you encounter or whatever crosses your path because you are content in Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do these things, all these things, the NIV says, I can do all these things through him who gives me strength. I can do all these things. What are these things? Live a life of contentment and satisfaction in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about there. So with these eight encouragements, I would encourage you to listen. We only have seven of them online. But I encourage you to listen through these because with these eight encouragements, this is like the basis or the tools for which we meditate upon. But once we meditate upon them, where do we go? What is the next step we take? What is it supposed to look like? How does this manifest in your life as you seek to live for eternity, encouraged by these truths in living a Christian life for the glory of God the Father? And I thought today, today, I thought, let's have a look. Let's look at an Old Testament character that you all know and you probably all love, but I think these eight encouragements are evident throughout his life as we look at it. Now, we're going to go through a a lot of reading, but this particular character I want us to look at is actually the character of Joseph. His story goes from, I think it's from about 37 through to 50, which, some, which, which chapter, Genesis chapter 37 through to 50, that have different things. But this verse here is a summation of how Joseph views his life after everything that he goes through. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then let's look at the scriptures together and see these encouragements demonstrated and the way Joseph conducts himself, and the way God conducts himself in Joseph's life. It's really quite encouraging and really quite exciting. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the examples that are given to us in the Old Testament that reveal your faithfulness, that reveal your goodness, that reveal your holiness, that reveal your very nature to us. And I pray that we might learn from such examples So that as we live through similar things, as we encounter different obstacles, as we encounter various struggles, you might reveal yourself as good, as great, and sovereign, just as you did for the saints of old. So please guide us now as we look into your scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, we read this. Joseph is speaking to his brothers. His dad has just passed away. His brothers are freaking out. And his brothers are freaking out because they did the dirty on Joseph pretty badly. Now the dad is dead. They're thinking to themselves, oh, no, dad's dead. Our protection is gone. Joseph, well, he might might turn around and, and do us some harm. Joseph hears this verse with them, and he says this word, and he goes, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. I going to read again. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In this one verse, we see the fact that Joseph could recognize, could see God's hand at work in the efforts of others that sought to do him harm. Okay, did you catch that? And the efforts of others that sought to do him harm, he saw God's hand at work. And how God could use those efforts of harm to bring about his ultimate purpose, which is the salvation of his people and the salvation of those other nations as well. It was the salvation of souls. But, and this is important, and I want you to catch this, it appears that the clarity of God's hand at work in one's life is so much easier to identify when you look at it in hindsight. You have a hundred percent clarity when you look back on life and think, "Aha, aha, aha." But when you are in the midst of it, it's a different story, isn't it? You talk with students who are at uni now or students who are now working, and I know at Borkham Hills High, and I'm not dogging on Borkham Hills High. I love Borkham Hills High. The, it, it is the, the be-all and end-all of their world in year 12's HSC. It's like it's make-or-break time, and it doesn't matter how many times you tell them, look, it's not the end of the world. Look, it's okay. You will live. But they're like, no. No, my parents will kill me, okay? And, and it's, just, it's just really quite fascinating. But once, once they look back on it now and all these former students look back on it and think, I don't know why I was so freaked out. But once again, you're, it's 100% clear vision when you look back on it, isn't it? And this is Joseph's case here. Now, in this body of believers, when I look around, I look around and I see stories. I see people's journeys. I see people's struggles. I see people's disappointments. I see people's victories. I've looked around and I've encountered you and spoken with you and you've told me stuff and you've told me stuff and you've been able to tell me as you've looked back on your past, wow, the greatness of God. Talk with Andrew and he'll tell you time whether it's going to Regent College. I'm going to stop. Sorry, you're back now. I get to pick on you all the time again. Okay? But you have all of these things taking place. But I mean, I guarantee you, if you talk with somebody, you talk with Uncle Bill, talk with Kenny, talk with Jules when she was over, talk with Craig in his television career, okay? I'm saying you talk with various people. He was on a couple of TV ads, okay? If you talk with people, what you'll find is that people are, are really easy to identify God's hand at work in the past, but at the time, maybe not so much. And I'm speaking from personal experience as well, which I'll I'll share with you a little bit. But we all have stories. And then you've got things like this. There are people that are sick. There are people that are struggling. There are people that have been disappointed. There are people that have been let down. And and this is what I think Joseph is going through as we look through. And we're going to sort of do a brief overview. And I would encourage you to read Joseph's story yourself Because it's a great, it is a great story. So in Genesis chapter 37 through to chapter 50, we are given this account of Joseph, a man who, as a boy, was favored by some of his family, like his dad, his dad loved him, but he was not so favored by others of his family, his brothers. And it was a situation that wasn't helped by his dad. I remember hearing this when they say, you know, if your kids come up to you and say, do you have a favorite child? And the parent's like, I don't have favorites. And I heard someone say, well, that just means you're not the favorite. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Quick story. I, when, I went, when my mum was, um, she was about to pass away. She was dying. I went back to go see her in 2016. I got back. And the first thing I said when I walked in was, Mom, your favorite child has arrived. And then my mum perked up and she smiled. All my brothers and my sister were like, oh, man, come on, man. But then when things got closer to the end, she forgot who I was. And um, I was holding her and she goes, and he goes, oh, and go, you're right, mum. And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, what's your name? And all my brothers and sister heard it and they're like, you got forgotten. Yeah, You're not the favourite. So now I'm no longer the favourite. I even, I even, for my birthday when I was over there, we went to a restaurant and they wrote for my birthday, they wrote, happy birthday, what's his name? <laughs> and I thought, wow. So yeah, so now I can no longer plead for that favourite title. But this was not helped by his dad because this is what we read There we go, in chapter 37, verses 3 and 4. Now Israel, Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him an ornate robe for him, you know, the coat of many colors, which is a really big deal. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Now, on top of this, you've got Joseph, who's a very gifted young man. We read later on that he's handsome. He's of a nice, you know, he's of a good build. He's young, and he's handsome. So he's a good-looking guy. I mean, Joseph. Anyway. But this isn't helped by Joseph's attitude. And what we read... Is how these two dreams, he has these prophetic dreams in verses 5 to 11 of the chapter. And these prophetic dreams show his brothers, which are the, the sheaves, bowing down to his sheaf, as well as his parents and his brothers bowing down and paying obeisance to him. Now, you could put this down to youthful arrogance, you could put this down to personal superiority, but even his dad recognized both the attitude of his claim. His dad was like, oh, Man, come on now. He says this. What is this dream you had? This is his dad speaking. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? But even though he recognized the attitude of the claim, he also recognized the importance. In verse 11, what do we read? But his father kept the matter in mind. So we have this as our foundation to begin with. And what I wanted to do, is like, this is is where it starts. This is your first point. A life lived for God will bring difficulty. And we've shared this time and time again in Timothy. It says, yea, all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You want to live a life in accordance with God's will, with God's desire, being obedient to His word, that will be difficult. And we read that in the beginning of the verse. He actually says this in chapter 50, verse 20. You intended to harm me. And it is from here we read of trial after trial that Joseph experiences, of obstacle after obstacle, struggle after struggle, some of which, and remember this, some of which Joseph didn't even see. Some of which Joseph didn't even see. Others where it couldn't be mistaken. But even in the midst of such things, this is a truth we need to take hold of. God was having his way. God was having his way, and God was working out his ultimate purpose. For example, in chapter 37, verses 12 to 36, we read of several happenings that from Joseph's perspective could be considered disastrous. His brothers literally are planning his death. They are plotting the death of their brother. Now, look, I've had disagreements with my with my siblings. I've had punch ups with my brothers. I've been punched up more often than not by my brothers, and I am ashamed to admit this. I even punched my sister once. I know, and then I got the biggest beat down from my older brother because in my family, you ever touch a woman, you're a coward, and you get beaten up. So now, granted, uh, my sister's probably listening to this. she started it <laughs> She came at me with a shoe, and I was defending myself, and she came in with the shoe, and she kept going and going and, and, and I, 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 I threw my fist, I punched her, and my brother rodney he, i didn 't even see him, he just he just came up, boom, grabbed me by the scruff of the neck, and he with his forearm, just bang, bang. And I don't remember much else after that. <laughs> but, but did why? Why? Because you don't do that. It's, anyway, I'm just saying. So, but even though I'm, I've been beating on my brothers, even though I've acted shamefully, even though, like, my siblings, not, not once have I ever thought, I want to kill you, I'm going to plot to kill you. Not once have I ever thought that. This is what Joseph is experiencing right now. So Joseph had no idea this was being discussed about him. And so in verses, if you turn to Genesis 37, verses 17 to 20, I might have put it up there. I don't know if I did. Oh, I did. I'm sorry. So Joseph has to go find his brothers. and He goes to Dothan. So on his way, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So Joseph's on the, he doesn't know this is what's happening. All he knows is I'm going to go see my brothers. And right then and there, the brothers are having a go. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. He had no idea. We see, though, even the selfishness of Judah, because Reuben intervenes, we see the selfishness of Judah that says in verses 26 and 27, while they have them in the cistern, which is a well, he says, um, oh, I, I mustn't have put it down. I apologize for that. But in verses 26 and 27, what we read about is how he, Judah goes, I can make some money off this. If I'm not going to kill him, then I can get something from it, because this is the selfish nature of our heart. I want to profit of his misery. And so he sells them into slavery. Can you imagine while Joseph was in that well, what he was thinking? He might have thought, it's just a prank of my brothers. Ah, oh, they'll let me out. When they finally bring him up, what do they do? They sell him. That's shocking. That is shocking. Imagine, Imagine the humiliation. Imagine the the, the sheer act of betrayal. Imagine just what he's going through right then and there. And yet, even in that, God is working his purpose. That's, that's really strange. So we see that he's sold, in verse 36 of the chapter, he's sold to Potiphar in Egypt. In Potiphar's household, he's living a contented life, although he's enslaved. Uh, a life, he is, and while is living this life, what happens? He is falsely accused of rape by the lady of the house. The integrity of this godly young man by making a stand for righteousness and holiness. And this is what it is. He refused, the st- but he refused. This is the, the, with me in charge, he told her, master, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, meaning Potiphar's wife. Because you are his wife, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin? Against God. Very important point I want to make before we carry on. Ultimately, sin, all sin is against God. Other people are affected, other people are hurt, other people are damaged. But all sin is ultimately against God. From the initial harm through the act brothers, we have a continued harm in the false, of this false accusation where it continues, not in deliberate physical action, but instead through a whole bunch of other things as well. As you can tell, he goes from there, and he's now imprisoned. While he's imprisoned... He meets a butler, or a cupbearer, and he meets a baker. They both have dreams. The giftedness of Joseph is such he can interpret the dreams. What does he say to them? He says to the butler, after he speaks favorably favorably into his life, he says, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Which what happens in chapter 50, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Now, at this time, I want you to sort of grasp this. He doesn't forget him like a day or a week or a month. This is years. This is years. He proves and says, look, I've, I, do me a favor, just tell the Pharaoh. Can you imagine what he's thinking right now? Can you imagine, oh, I could be out of here at any time, and it doesn't show up? I know for myself, I would probably think, God, why have you forsaken me? God, what's going on? God, I don't understand. When you look at your life, you look at your life and you can see and you wonder, Lord, I really don't get it. I really don't get it. Uh, Look at Job's life. Job who who lived a righteous life and yet God allowed all these things to happen to him. I I look at what happened with my family and with my daughter and I'm thinking, Lord, I, I don't quite understand. I know something's going on, but I don't quite get it. I don't quite get it, but I do know this, that as I look back, as I look back, and as Joseph looked back in chapter 50, verse 20, he can see time and time and time again where God directly injected himself into a situation and revealed himself that he was in complete control of what was going on, in complete control. Now, I don't know the situations that you face. I don't know the issues that you are going through, but I do know this that the God of Joseph is the same God we serve, is the same God that you know. And if he can work things and change things, who can take various things and bring about his ultimate purpose for the saving of many souls, I know for a fact he can do that in your life, and he can do that in my life. Because in a nutshell, when you look, and when you look at what what, what Joseph went through, he was plotted against, He was betrayed, he was sold, he was enslaved, he was falsely accused, he was imprisoned, and he was forgotten. And yet, and yet, we are told God intended this for good. That makes no sense whatsoever. But God intended this for good, for bringing about his purposes, which is my second point, that all my circumstances, all my circumstances are in God's hand. All of them. The good and the bad, the hard and the easy, the victories and the failures, they are all in the hand of God. And you might ask me, but why would God allow this happen to this young girl when she did nothing wrong? Why, why would God allow this young child to suffer in this way when they did nothing wrong? You know what i got to say about that? I don't know. I really don't. I don't understand some of the things that take place in this world, but I do know that my God is good. I do know that. I do know that my God loves me. I do know that. I know that my God has made me new through his son Jesus Christ. I do know that. I do know that I am made for eternity and irrespective of what takes place here will pale in comparison to what God has in store for me. I do know that. And this is why God has it in complete, complete control. All the trials Joseph experienced were accompanied with the working of God in every circumstance. All of them. For example, in the plotting against his life, you have Reuben who intervenes. Reuben who steps up and says, let's not kill him, let's just throw him in a well. With the complete intention of going back and saving him. Of going back and saving him. That's what he's thinking. That's what Reuben's thinking. So right then and there, God is working. God used the selfishness of Judah, the selfishness of Judah, God used that to not only preserve Joseph's life, but I reckon Joseph was probably better cared for as a slave. Why? Because he was being groomed to be sold. Who did he get sold to? He got sold to Potiphar, which meant this. He couldn't have just some scabby little slave. He would have been cared for. He would have been strong. He would have to been looked after, which means he was probably cared for better by these merchants than he would have been by his brothers. So God used the selfishness of Judah in such things. That's in Genesis 37, 21 and 22, and 37, 29 and 30. Uh, 26 and 27 is the selfishness of Judah. Uh, in Potiphar's household, we see this. And this is where I think the change takes place because imagine this, imagine this. Have you ever been humiliated so much that it has changed your very character, that has changed your very nature? Because I guarantee you the youthful arrogance that Joseph, the boy who sat there and says, you guys, you're all gonna bow down to me. Oh, you guys, even mom and dad, you're gonna bow down to me. I guarantee you, after you are sold by the very people you thought had your back, You'll be thinking twice about who, how you are. And I reckon God would have grown him because now we have this description of Joseph while he's in Potiphar's house. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master in prison. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Genesis chapter 40 verse 8. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. He, there's an understanding, there's a dependence upon the very nature and being of who God is now. It's not about him. It's Once again, even before Pharaoh, Genesis 41, 16, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. All I'm saying is there's now this change of attitude in Joseph that is now dependent upon God and God's gifting and God's giving and God's provision to him for himself. So all these circumstances, all the things, whether it was, even though he was plotted against, God was there. When he was thrown in a well, God was there. When he was sold to merchant, God's God was there. When he was sold to Potiphar, God was there. When the woman sought to attack him and abuse him, God was there. When he was in prison, God was there. When he was interpreting dreams for this butler and for this baker, God was there. Every single aspect, every trial, every issue that Joseph was facing, God was there. What are you going through now? What are the struggles that you face? What are the hardships that you encounter? What are the things that you question God about and ask, God, what are you doing? God is there. One of the situations that happened while Emily was in hospital was there was this big rigmarole of they're going to do this treatment and my wife and I didn't know what to do. If we do the treatment does that make it worse for Emily or does it make it better? If we don't do the treatment, does that make it worse for Emily or does that make it better? And and constantly, and you joined us in this, and I'm so thankful for you. You joined us in, in prayer and fasting and seeking God's face. And time and time and time again, I saw God intervene using doctors, using people who didn't even know him. Using various individuals. One doctor comes up and says, We're gonna try this, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Another doctor walks up and goes, Are you gonna give her this treatment or not? She needs this medicine. Do you need these results to determine whether you give it or not? And she goes, No. Then just give her the medicine. Just give her the medicine. Don't waste time. And it was just God intervening. Just God stepping down. God revealing himself. When we, were told, when we were told that if there wasn't going to be an improvement in one of her MRIs and, 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 and told that if there's not going to be improvement, we're going to move her to palliative care and wait for her to die. And just saying, Lord, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know what you're doing. And seeing God move and how the very I, I, the Monday, that it was, it was a really hard weekend. That was a hard weekend. And, and the Monday when the doctor came back and got us in the room, we hear and he says, it looks good. God was there. This is the reality, that he is in every circumstance. Do I know why this happened to him? No, I don't. No, I don't. Do I fully comprehend it? No, I don't. But I, even for my wife and I, we never doubted God's love for us and God's love for her. This is how he has every circumstance in his hands. And, and what happens is that there is a deepening of relationship. Just like with Joseph, there was a deepening of his relationship with himself and a deepening of, of his intimacy with him as well, of his dependence, of his trust. And, and this is why all circumstances, even though when you seek to live for God and you're going to experience difficulty, every situation, every circumstance, whether you like it or not, he has complete control over. And that's hard to take. That is hard to take. But it does lead to this, that the plans of God are always being brought about. We sing, no power of hell, no scheme of man will ever pluck me from his hand. We sing that song. Well, no... (laughs) That no power of hell, no scheme of man can do anything to detract from God's ultimate purpose. What is God's ultimate purpose? Here, it was to accomplish what has now been done, the saving of many lives. What is God's ultimate purpose through you? Right now, the saving of souls. The proclamation of a gospel that takes people out of darkness and brings them into light. The proclaiming of a gospel that transforms people, of giving power, of giving you life. That's, that's what it is. See, in every circumstance that Joseph went through, we see the ultimate purpose of God being worked out. God accomplishing his plan irrespective of the enemies. God accomplishing his plan irrespective of the enemy's attempts to thwart God's deliverance. And what you'll notice is the maturing of Joseph throughout the whole process that he went through. The plans of God being brought about, Uh, God delivered his people from the coming doom and in the process blessed Egypt and saw them through a time of desperate famine and of great need. That's in Genesis 47. Uh, This is the confidence Joseph had, not in his ways, nor in his wisdom, but in the ever-present nature of his God and his ultimate plan's fulfillment for Israel's perseverance. We see this in Genesis 45. He says this, he's talking to his brothers. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. See the perspective he has on his life. God sent me. God intended for me. God bought me. You, you are, you are. Thank you very much, Chris. You are. And I, you see the movements of God throughout Joseph's life. And I was thinking about this on the way here. God uses you and the lives of people to be His movement. You are the movement of God. You are the vessel of his spirit. You are the channel by which you can invest into other people's lives and draw them closer to yourself. Malcolm Gill, uh, and Sandra shared this. It was really funny. I heard this from Malcolm Gill, and then Sandra put it on the, on, the, on the devotional wall. Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. That's exactly what you are to each other. You are blessed to be a blessing. That's opposed to go coming to church and saying, what can I get? What can you give? What do I provide for you? How do I draw Christ or you closer to Christ? We are blessed to be a blessing. And this here is exactly what it is. God has sent you here for the salvation of souls, for the encouragement of the saints, for the blessing to each other, not to tear down, not to destroy. That's what the enemy does. We're told that the thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. And when we don't do, this is what we're doing. If we're not building each other up, you know what we're doing? We're tearing people down. We become vessels that steal and kill and destroy. That's what we become. But God has sent us here to save souls, to bless others, to minister the life-healing grace that we've experienced in Jesus Christ and build the saints up. That's what we've been given. That's why we are here. That's how we are to be as the family of God. And that's why, what we said before when we started, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what, now, what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Just in closing, what we see here is the living example of Romans 8.28. That's the living example of Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those that love God. It is the, the practical outliving of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean to your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. That's what we see in the life of Joseph. We see God's sovereignty, human dependence, God's plan fulfilled. That's what we see in the life of Joseph, and that's what we are invited to be a part of, because the Lord is ever working, whether you see him or not, whether you see his hand or not. He is the one who never sleeps or slumbers. That's Psalm 121. The Lord is ever watchful over his people. What we read in Chronicles, how his eyes roam to and fro across the earth, looking for those that he might reveal himself powerful. We read that in 2 Chronicles 16. And Joseph's life is an example for us to understand that as a follower of God doesn't necessarily mean that everything will run smoothly. That as a follower of God doesn't necessarily mean that things will work out the way we want them to or expect them to. See, if anything, the greatest of these truths is this, that irrespective of what we encounter or what we face, God is there working about his purposes, which means you and I have that wonderful, wonderful responsibility to trust, to trust, to commit ourselves and to trust. So brothers and sisters, I I want us to have a listen to a song uh, and and I'll close in prayer after that. It's by a, a, a woman named Lauren Daigle. And I heard it just recently through the camp speaker. The camp speaker passed it to me. And uh, have a a read the lyrics as you listen to the song. Could you play that for us, please, bro?
2: Letting go of everything.
0: We, as the people of God, regardless of what we face, regardless of what we encounter, be a people that trusts our God, who is good, who is love, and who is always present. Father, we thank you so much for the example of Joseph given before us. Father, we, as your people, can be so caught up with the things that we encounter time and time again. And it may impair our vision of what is going on around us. It may even impair our vision and take our eyes off you. I pray you will help us to see beyond the circumstance, to see beyond the obstacles we face, rather to see the greatness of your glory, the love that you have to us as your people, to see you as our Abba Father, knowing that you will always, always be there for us. We ask you to dismiss us now. And you ask us, and I ask that you, Lord, will not only bless us, but give us a thirst for more of you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. We would love to pray for you this morning. If you want to come up, we'll pray for you. That'd be really exciting. The prayer team can come forward. Thank you so much.